Children under 12 can head back to Camp Pointway. Well, I wanted to make sure, because sometimes some of you older folks want to sneak out, so. Huh? Well, Pat, you know, no. That's right. Hey, a couple of things I wanted to mention uh, before we get into the message today. One is we have these <coughs> cute pink bulletins that Kim does up for us, um, but has all the, the stuff in for the month ahead. And I do appreciate Kim doing it because for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. May's coming up and there's a bunch of stuff going on and I actually have to think ahead and I, I need that reminder. But this has a lot of information. So if you grab it on the table on your way out, it'll kind of keep you up to date on what's going on throughout um, not only this week coming up, but the, the month in whole. So thank you, Kim, uh, for doing that for us. Also, I wanted to make mention, thank you for all of you that came out to Camp Jim yesterday. Um, God provided a beautiful day. Uh, there was plenty of work. Uh, there was plenty of stuff. And despite the rumor that's going on, I did not push Franny down, all right? Franny fell yesterday. That bandage on over her eye, um, I had nothing to do with, all right? Just, just making that clear. No. Franny's recovering from that and, and doing well, so it was a pleasure to have her out there working alongside. Uh, as PJ mentioned, she's in Philippians. She's teaching Philippians. I will not go anywhere near Philippians in the teaching for the next probably month or maybe even two months. Um, I love my wife, and when she does, when she dies into a book, she goes deep, she goes hard, um, but then everything runs through. I mean, I can say, hey, the day's beautiful, and she'll go, you know what it says in Philippians? It talks about that, and, and it's amazing. You know what we're having for supper tonight? Oh, well, in the book of Philippians, you know, it's great. I love her enthusiasm and for the word. And so if you that got a taste of that this morning, um, take advantage of that. I think you can still get in on that class anytime that you're here. I don't, uh, it's at 845. Uh, coffee, it's casual. And I think you have to bring your Bible, though. I don't think there's any slide because I'm the one that needs that help. If Ike ever gets it up there. No, I'm just kidding. All right. I am going to jump from Amos all the way to the New Testament, and all the way pretty near to the end of the New Testament, we're going to go look at Timothy. I thought this morning, since we're voting on elders, it might be good to look at those passages that we look for qualifications. And the title of today's message is, Elders Who Needs Them. Elders Who Needs Them. And there's been some meetings I've walked out of, and I'm like, Lord, do I really need them? And no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We have great elders here, and, and we do, and I'm thankful for each and every one of them. But it's good to look at it once in a while. You know, there's a lot that goes on in the church. Um, a lot of you folks see what happens on Sunday morning, but during the week, there's a lot of things that go on, a lot of decisions that have to be made, uh, a lot of looking out over the congregation and looking for your well-being and caring for you. And believe me, elders are important in that role. And so we're going to look a little bit at that. Um, Timothy, um, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's not written directly to the church. Obviously, it has implications to the church. But Paul is talking to Timothy as this young protege, someone he's had with him, raising him up, and he's going to put him in a church that's got problems. And he's trying to prepare him. And Timothy's young, and, and he's, Paul's saying, hey, you need to get some people around you. And one of the reasons he needs elders, he needs some support, and he probably needs some credibility. 
And so Paul's going to establish some elders in that church. We're also going to look at Titus, which is a similar passage as well. Now, we know Paul writes this letter a little bit later in life. He's getting older. He's, he knows his time is short, and he's trying to set up his ministry that's going to go on beyond his life. It's a great legacy that Paul leaves, and Timothy is one of those shining stars. You know, Timothy is, is half Greek, half Jewish. Uh, he's got that mixed bag. He's not always accepted in some circles. Uh, he's timid. He's, uh, he has some fear issues along the way. We see that through the letter. And Paul says, you need help. And so you need to establish some elders um, or overseers. You're going to hear some different words today. Um, believe it or not, the Greek word for overseer, bishop, pastor, and elders is all the same. That the, the, the base word for that is all the same. So they're interchangeable. Um, I like overseers, actually, and elders. Because elders, we think of elders as just being someone older, and that's not necessarily the case. An overseer had that vision of looking over the church body and keeping an eye on them, watching for them, noticing when they're here or not here or what's going on in their lives and being caretakers, that shepherding part. So I, I actually kind of like overseer. Um, pastor, I never know what to do with that title. I don't know. A pastor put me out to pastor or pastor of the past. I don't know. But... Anyways, just a little bit of a Greek lesson for this morning. Those words are all the same. They're interchangeable. So let's get into chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, because that's where it kind of amplifies this part of it. It says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Stop right there a little bit, because... Paul says it's not something to aspire to just to, to go up the, the ladder, right? It's not the business world, right? It's not to, because a lot of times we get in a job, we want to be the boss, we want to get to it. And he's saying, hey, it's okay to look for that, but it's got to be of the heart. The heart is the key to an elder. It really is. The qualifications, yeah, there's certain things that we have to have, but the heart is what really shines through and what you're looking for, Right? But it's a noble task. It's, it, it comes with a lot of responsibilities. It comes with um, great responsibility because you're not only just managing yourself, but you're managing the whole church in many ways. And you're responsible for checking in on people. You're responsible for their spiritual life. And so it is a noble task. It comes with a lot of great responsibility. And Paul knows that. And so he's saying, hey, here's the position now, here's the qualifications. So verse 2, we see that. It says, now the overseer must be above reproach. All right? Above reproach. That word, we don't use that very much, above reproach, right? Here's a Charlie definition of above reproach. If here's the line, I need to be under the line. Right? Right? If, if the line is here, I, I, I don't want to be standing right on the edge, right, where I can fall off pretty easy. Right? I, I need to be inside that line, right? So pick whatever it is that you think that an elder shouldn't do, and here's the line, then be away from that line. Don't even be close or even resting getting near that. Now, that can be tough. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's tough enough to follow what God sets out for us anyways, right? I, or am I the only one that struggles with some of those? No, I, I know you, and so I know we all struggle. But to be above reproach is to not even get close. 
It means I got to be careful on my fish stories, you know? It's hard for fishermen not to exaggerate or, right? But I have to really be careful of that. But maybe it's in the area of finances, right? Right? Taxes, we just went through that period, right? Claiming everything, being above reproach. Even at some cost sometimes. So that's an important one, right? Being above reproach. PJ's not here. The husband of one wife. Whew, right now. There's a lot of jokes that go with that, but, but seriously, the husband of one wife, committed to your wife, right, in marriage. Great thing. Not, now, do I say that all elders need to be married? No. That's not what it's saying either. But if he is, he needs to be committed to that wife. He needs to be one wife. Now, you can go sideways on this. Uh, even culturally, there wasn't a lot of wives. Um, you know, it, it was around. It's around today in certain small sections, Really, it's talking about commitment, right? Now, certainly, if an elder's been divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried multiple times, that might disqualify him as an elder. But the fact that he was divorced once uh, or is remarried, uh, I don't think it means that. I don't think that's what they're looking for. But they're looking for that commitment. Again, these are qualifications for an elder. So they're, they're pretty high. The bar is pretty high here set. Next one, temperate. I'm going through these slowly because each of them are very specific, but they also have great meaning to them. And so if you just read them real quick, you kind of lose it. But temperate, right? Being even keeled is what I like to call it. Not flying off, not emotions all over the place. Um, if you, and again, you're thinking about elders. You're coming together. You're making decisions. If everyone's flying off the handle and going their separate way, and that doesn't work well. You're not working in unity. It's hard to, to work through things to talk to, to talk about things and, and to make decisions. But being that even keel, being temperate, right? Not reacting, we say quite often, but responding correctly. I can tell you, your elders here, we do a good job of that. We really do. We, we very seldom, you know, get too far out of the realm. We, we have some fun. I, I, I'm not going to lie. We do have some fun. We, we make some jokes at each other, but we keep it, you know, light. But um, it's not a place where things get heated. Um, that's not devoid of passion, but it's not that we don't get mad at each other. We don't, we don't usually walk out of a room ever losing uh, any bit of our relationship. If anything, our relationship grows together, and that's, that's a good sign. So being temperate is part of that. Along with that, self-control is the next one, right? Keeping yourself un in control, not losing yourself not the making demands. Again, trying to take the whole body and picture here as you're meeting. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's 15 of these things. So don't worry. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each of them. You could do a message on a lot of these, but we're going to work through them a little bit. Respectable, right? Being worthy of respect, right? Again, I say it that way. Being worthy of respect. I can't make some, you can't make someone respect you but you certainly can give them things about you that they can respect. The way you live your life, the way you care for them, the way you interact, the way you do business, the way you present yourself, right? Hospitality, hospital, right? And I say it always works two ways, right, with hospitality, especially in this qualification with elders, and taught a number of classes with elders, so I kind of broaden these a little bit, but 
you know, having people in your home, certainly. But you know what? The reverse of that, too. Being willing to go out with someone or to go to their home. I always see that as a two-way street on, the, on that because um, I've known in the past some leaders who were, were great. They would have a bunch of people come over for a cookout and they would do it up big. And, and certainly that was a good thing. But then if someone invited them to go to their home, well, no, sorry, I prefer what I prefer at home or I'm busy. Uh, no, I, I don't have time for you is what they're really saying. So it's a two-way street. So that hospitality, but that needs to be part of it, being able to interact. I don't know about you, but I don't get to know most of you very well just on a Sunday morning. In fact, usually it's a lot of brief conversations, to be honest with you. That's just one of those things that happens on Sunday mornings. Um, it's hurried. There's a lot going on. I have limited space up here. That's the other problem I have. And so you know, trying to keep everything straight, um, that becomes a challenge. But where I get to know you is outside of here and spending time. And that happens Monday through Saturday most of the time. Um, I got to know some guys yesterday just in the woodpile. I mean, that's a, that's a funny place. To, and there was machinery running, but in between we were joking around, throwing pieces of wood at each other. Those things that happen, you know, with guys when you're working. But it's those off times. And so those are important. Those times are probably as much, if not more important sometimes, than just gathering here on Sunday morning, getting to know you. By the way, some of you that like to fish, that's a great opportunity. I love having guys fishing, and uh, it's part of my pitch to PJ for getting the boat is so that I can take guys with me on the fishing. So some of you may need to help me out a little bit with that. Um, yes, I'm getting the itch in case you can't tell. Um, not giving in to drunkenness. It's probably in the top five questions that I get asked all the time, right? Pastor, what's your position on drinking? I get it. I mean, there's not a month goes by. I don't get at least one. Sometimes I'll get multiple. What's your position on drinking? Pastor, can you, you know, can we drink? Can we not? All right, here it is. Here's Pastor Charlie's official word on this. Yes, you can drink. The Bible does not forbid drinking, but it does forbid drunkenness. All right? Drunkenness is over that line, crosses over that line. I've been old enough. I've watched enough of it. There, it's, that line is different for everyone. In fact, I even tell you this, even the government tries to do it, each state is different. 0 0.07, 0 0.08, it, it's all over the place. Now, for elders, this is what we're talking about, I would encourage our elders, I don't make it a, a mandate, but I'd encourage our elders, you know what, to be above reproach, don't drink at all. Or have a beer in your home or a glass of wine in your home. Again, just trying to stay above that reproach line. I made some personal decisions in my own life. I work with people with addiction. I don't think it's fair for me to ask them to do something that I'm not willing to. And so for myself, I've made that commitment. But that's not always been the case. So drunkenness obviously is a problem. Again, part of the qualifications for an elder. But that's my official stance on, on drinking. So, but don't, you can always ask me because I'm always ready to give that answer. But I get asked that, and I'm like, no, you, you're, you're fine to have one. I've, I've gone out with people. They've had a beer with me. It doesn't bother me that they're drinking next to me. It really doesn't. But if they get drunk, it does become uncomfortable. I'll just, just say that. All right. Not violent. I'm not sure now. Wait a minute. I was throwing wood yesterday. No, I, it wasn't in anger. It was in jest. No. All right. Sounds obvious, right? Not violent. Right? But I, I have been with guys, and maybe you've been with them, where 
that something's happened. They've gotten mad, and, and they, or they've found. They've thrown things in anger, right? Or they've hurt someone needlessly. You know, we, we think of violence as, you know, severe, and it is, but it can be simply as just being overly harsh with someone, punching walls or something, something out of anger. That not holding yourself in self-control. Again, it kind of goes back to that. It's that whole picture of what they're looking for. Again, not violent, but gentle, right? How we handle people, being gentle with them, being easy with them. Um, that can be a struggle. And, and again, that comes with relationship. It comes with time, how to handle certain people. You can pray for your elders because they've had to learn how to handle me as coming from the East Coast. It's always a running joke. Oh, Charlie, you're pretty direct. You're from the East Coast. That's not the way we do it here in Minnesota. And they've been trying to teach me, and I'm working on that. But being gentle, being time, giving people time, giving them grace, and working through some of those things. Next one, not quarrelsome. Who really likes to quarrel all the time? Anybody? Anyone like to quarrel all the time? Not, nobody raised a hand. No? No one likes to just have an animosity and be stirred up and fighting? No? No? <laughs> I like that, Roy. That's good. That's right. <clears throat> if they would just agree with me, it would be fine. The quarrel would be ended. No. But you know those people, right? You, could, you probably, someone came to mind. I, I almost guarantee you thought of someone right away and said, oh yeah, that person I would label as quarrelsome. Well, you can see with a, a group of elders meeting and trying to, to, to figure out things, uh, there's always quarreling. A, you wouldn't get much done, and B, it would not work well, right? Not that we don't have disagreements, but to, to quarrel all the time, over and over again. This next one, not a lover of money. I go ballistic when I see this on Facebook. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil or whatever, right? No. It's the heart condition about money. Money itself is nothing. It's just an object, but it's the lover of money. I think this, this scripture points that, right? Where finances become the only thing, or the money becomes the only thing. Interestingly enough about that lover of money, it can go both ways. It can be with someone who's rich, and it can be someone who's very poor. I, I, I've known some very poor folks. Their only focus was just trying to get ahead and trying to get money, and you know what? They were just as much in love with money, and it was only a small amount, versus someone who had lots of money, and that was their only focus and what they relied upon. Right? So that's a, a warning here. Oh, 15 things for an elder. And that's not even the whole list. That's just the beginning of it. So, elders, do we need them? I'm going to say yes. It's one of those rhetorical questions. I know I actually asked a rhetorical question. It's pretty good for me. All right, verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Because if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? I love it. I love the correlation. And Paul does this really well in his writings, right? Church is family right? We're family. We're, we're together. We're, we're doing this together. It's not just a bunch of people. And so you're in all different places, but it's a family. We care about each other. And so you see one of the roles of elders is to be part of that family, but to, to be watching over, to be leading a little bit. I've had to 
define this a little bit more through the years because some people want to take this verse and kind of go beyond. It's usually when they're upset with an elder, but they'll say, well, you know, their, their 22-year-old kid is, has been out drinking. He's not walking with the Lord anymore. He's gone. He's not qualified to be an elder. Well, I don't know about you, but I kind of release parents of that responsibility at 18, and especially 18 once they've moved out of the house. Now, if they're over that and they're still living in their home and they're allowing things, then probably they need to do some work on that. But really, once our kids become adults and they leave our home, they're in God's care. Certainly, we should pray for them, shouldn't encourage or enable some of the bad behavior. But you know what? That doesn't disqualify you as an elder. I hear that often. Some parents get so wrapped up in their adult children. And again, do my adult children always do what I want them to do? Or are they living the way they want to? No, not always. But you know what? We raised them, right? We did everything we could to get them to that point, but now they're on their own. But it's important to look back, how was that raising them? And again, I don't think elders have to have children necessarily. They don't have to be married, they don't have to have children. But if they do, those are things to look at. If nothing else, see that there's a screening process for elders. It's not a simple, oh, this guy wants to be an elder. Okay, we'll just make him an elder today, and we'll, he'll be fine. He'll, he'll grow into the position. Guess what? I've not seen that happen yet. Not seen an elder grow into the position if he wasn't ready to be in the position. In fact, most of not, it's the opposite way around. And that works with most leadership. They, they usually regress sometimes. So it's a caution here for this. It goes along with the next verse, verse 6. It says, man, as a devil, right? Not recent. He's not just a, a brand new believer. Why do you think that's in there, right? Is your walk the same as it was when you first got saved? No, right? It's taking some time, right? That it, it's taking some time just to get into the Word more, to study more, a little bit of time, a little bit of seasoning, a little bit of maturity. And I don't like to put ages on these things, and I don't think that's what it's talking about here because, you know what, I know some really um, believers who have gotten saved young, and I've known some who have gotten saved later in life, and you know what, their spiritual is different. And where they are, and whether they're ready to lead or not to lead is in a different spot. So it's not an age thing, but I think the recent convert, if they just newly saved, give them a little bit of time. Let them grow in their faith a little before they become an elder. Verse 7. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Joe, you set me up good. You're talking about being in the world, right, and how things are discouraging when you see a non-believer, right? Well, guess what? If you're a believer, and especially if you're an elder, if people don't see you differently or you have a bad reputation, it reflects badly on the church. Pure and simple. As hard as that is to believe, but that's true. In fact, you should know, we get judged harder than most everyone else. Church has a big target on it all the time. And they don't care that it happens on Sunday morning. They can even give us some great, while well, those Christians are in church on Sunday morning. But they'll watch you in the middle of the week and see you what happens in the marketplace. They'll watch you at your job. Right? Again, they're not playing by the same rules. They have no problem judging Christians. Oh, you Christians, and you can fill in the blank. So reputation is important, especially with those outside. So do we really need elders? 
We do. We do. All right, over to Titus, because Titus kind of fills in, believe it or not, a couple more. And we won't spend quite as much detailed time, but Titus is a little bit different than Timothy, but again, they're similar passages, right? Titus is actually going to be left in Crete. Um, it's an island. It's a different spot. Um, there are believers there. They're scattered a little bit. Um, they have some issues in the churches there, but it's, um, Titus is a little bit older, a little more mature. Um, he's a Gentile, which is no big deal for us, but at the time was a big deal for them, um, especially for the Jewish believers. They were still wrestling with that issue, believe it or not. Um, there was a race issue back then, too. Isn't that awful? That was still going on. A little bit continues today. Um, people notice the differences. But Paul clears that up a little bit with Titus. And so, just to give you a little bit more background, I'm going to read the first part of this, um, Paul's opening to Titus, because I think it helps fill in some of the blanks. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God, of, elect, of the, God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before from the beginning of time, and as appointed season, he has brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the commands of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God and Father, the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. It's one of the longer openings that Paul has. I think only Romans is a little bit longer in its opening, but Paul is trying to embrace everything. And if nothing else, he's given Titus that, that authority. Hey, this is my true son. He's a believer. I'm the one that's placing him here. He's a true servant. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, he's just like me. And so he's given him that, that seal. He's placed him. Titus is proven. But there's a reason that Paul is doing this. And we see this in verse 5. It says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Huh. Paul's saying, hey, I, I came and I evangelized through and I got some churches going, I got things going and there's a bunch of people meeting, but I left something unfinished. There's no leadership, there's no structure, there's nothing that's holding these groups together. And so God says that there's a need for that, that God of order, that God of structure, uh, especially in this area and especially in, in all of our churches. And so here he says, hey, I left it unfinished, and guess what? Titus, this is your job to finish the work. I love the, love the thought because a lot of times we can't do a whole project by ourselves, right? And so we need other people to come alongside us and kind of finish the work going to jump off a little bit, but one of the, the, the great things that we have here about the elders that come together here at Pointway is they have different gifts. They're different. We're not all the same. And where I can start one thing, they can take on the next spot, right? Believe me, you, you've wanted Ike doing the audiovisual. You've wanted Brandon doing some of the, the physical projects that are going on around here. You've wanted Bryce uh, for the history, and he knows what's been going on in the church for a long time. Tony has a, a management background, and, and so working the campus, some of the church, all those guys bring different pieces when we're leading. 
and there's, there's gaps along the way. And again, the body works together, but the elder board's the same way. Sometimes, you know, I, I get to be up front and speak, but you, you know you wouldn't want me doing some other areas of ministry. You certainly don't want me singing, that's for sure. We know that already. But those things are important. And so finishing that work in trees. Again, on the wood pile, I was thinking of yesterday, actually, as we are working a lot of those trees. Again, on the wood pile, because that's where I was at most of the time. I know there was painting projects, there were leaves, there were a lot of other things going on, but wood pile was a great example for me. But, you know, I, there was logs that someone had already cut up, and so cutting them up into pieces. Well, that, that was great. I, I can do that part. I can, I can run a chainsaw, I can cut them into pieces. But having the young guys lifting them, having another guy splitter. Jeff, Jeff was even running the handle, which was a huge help. One arm, but he was, he was out there helping running the handle because it made it go quicker. And then they had some more kids that were actually picking them up off the ground and put them in the pickup truck. And then they were taking them over, and there was another group that was stacking them. I can tell you, we did a lot of wood yesterday in a short amount of time that we wouldn't have been able to do if one person was doing it. True. It did. It was great. It was great to see. Yeah, definitely. The kids, yeah, and they didn't break a sweat. I'm, I'm thinking, like, just bending over at this point would be a little bit tough just to even pick up a stick. I found that out this morning. Um, but true, the kids helped. But it, again, it was that working together. But yet, there was still leadership even in that. Tony and the guys had set up the gas, the chainsaws. Things were already planned out ahead of time. It's no different than trying to do tasks within the church. And Paul says, hey, you're going to need elders. And so you need to appoint them in every town, just as I directed you, right? He, he directed, he gave these instructions. And here we go again. And I'm, I'm going to go through these a little bit quicker, but like I said, there's 17 here. And there's some other places in Scripture that even adds a few more. But it says, an elder must be blameless, husband of what one wife, sounds familiar, whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Right? Again, that one wife, family life, it's important. You know, that wild and disobedient, again, do elders' kids act up? Do pastors' kids act up? Rachel's not even here, and she, she would even be nodding her head. Yes, no, they act up. She would blame her brothers, but no. But again, if, if you're not doing something about it, that's when you could be called into question. You know, disciplining your kids, controlling your kids, right? It's one thing that they're disobedient, because they're going to be disobedient. And sometimes they're going to be acting a little wild, but controlling that and watching over them and correcting them is what's really important. Again, that's part of that. Again, you can see how that formulates in church life as well. Um, over in Timothy, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Same word as over in Timothy. Not overbearing. That one's a little bit different, right? Not overbearing. You know, that overbearing, first thing that comes to mind is, hey, I'm an elder, I tell you, you have to do this, that's the way it is. No option, right? That's not, that's overbearing, right? A better way would be, hey, let's sit down and let's talk about this. Let's see if we can work this out. Hey, I'm noticing you're struggling in this area. Again, that's that relationship. That's a different conversation than, hey, you have to do this because I tell you so, because of my position, right? I don't know about you, but if someone does that to me, 
and I back up, and yeah, it's, I sometimes dig my heels in a little bit harder. I kind of turn off the receptors. It's, it's, I have to work through that process. Uh, so that overbearing kind of comes into play there, how we treat people, how we work through that. Not quick-tempered, right? Not quick-tempered, not flying off the handle. Again, that comes with maturity and, and working through things, being self-controlled, not given to drunkenness. There it is again. Not violent, same. Not pursue, pursuing dishonest gain, right? I put that all under the general of integrity, right? An elder should have integrity. Again, he's being entrusted with a lot. Not only the church finances, but also with people and their lives. And so integrity matters. Those things are important. Next verse. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Tall list, tall order. These are the things you should be looking for when you're choosing an elder. This next one's a little bit different, but just as important. It says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as he has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Again, over and over again, we see in Scripture where the church came under attack because of doctrine. Right? And again, I've said this before. If you're coming here to hear Charlie's opinion about something, it's not worth a whole lot. That's why we stick really close to the Scripture, because God's Word is the one that is the truth. That's the one that matters. That's where the doctrine comes from. And certainly, my opinion should line up with the Bible, but go to the Bible first. Right? And that should be the qualification. Elders should be in the Word. I'll just say it plain and simple. He should be in the Word. He should be leading the charge. Now, he's not going to have every answer. You know your pastor doesn't have every answer, but he should know where to go look or how to find it or to be willing to go dig in God's Word to get you those answers. Or to study alongside you. Some people say that this talks about being willing to, to teach, being willing to, to, to do Bible studies. Right? What does God's word say about this? What do we need to do with this? So, yes, it's a tall order for elders. Do we need elders? Yes. Oh, I heard, I heard a couple yeses. Oh, good, good. All right. Church, not all of you are going to be elders, all right? I, I knew that comes as a surprise to some of you. Some of you are like, phew, good, I wasn't. But what can you do to help your elders? See, this is not about elders this morning. It's about us as a church body. But what can you do for your elders? Number one, pray for them. Pray for them. Continually pray for the elders, especially here at Pointway, right? Number two, encourage them. Right? Encourage them. Lift them up not only in prayer, but encourage them. A lot of the work they do, you don't see. A lot of the things that happen, you'll, you, you probably will never know. To be honest, even as their pastor, I don't always know everything. It just happens. They do things, the right things. But encourage them. And when they help you out as an elder, thank them for it. Be encouraging to them. Thirdly, Look for ways you can help them, right? It's one thing to give out, and, and they do. They give out a lot, and they spend a lot of time. But you know what? Sometimes it's nice to have someone else to say, you know what, how can I help you? 
Is there some way in the ministry that I can help you? Is there an area that I could be doing something to, to make your load a little bit lighter? How can I come alongside of you? Three things, but they are important. And I, I guarantee your elders that are here now will really appreciate that. Pray for them, encourage them, look for ways to help them. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the elders that we do have here at Pointway, Lord. And Lord, as we're deciding on to bring on a couple more men, Lord, that you would uh, give us wisdom, give us discernment when we come to that. But Lord, as the men that have been serving, Lord, that, Lord, that you would just lift their spirits, that you would encourage them, that you'd watch over them and their families, that you would help them to remember the call that God's placed on their lives to, to take on that position, Lord, that you would lead them, that you'd give them wisdom, that you would guide them. And Lord, help us as a church body that we would support, come alongside, and encourage them. Lord, as this family here continues to grow and stretch, Lord, that you would just uh, continue to use us. Help us to reach those who are outside these walls. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting this morning, too, as we're coming to, together, um, we're going to take communion together this morning. So, kind of shifting gears a little bit, and if I could have a helping hand, I'll ask for a helping hand in serving communion this morning. But as our church body, if you're visiting here with us, we have an open communion table, and what that means is if you're a believer, you are welcome to come to the table. It's not a members only, or uh, this is your first time here, you are welcome to take communion. Again, it's between you and the Lord, uh, so we have an open communion table for any of those that are believers. But we do take it seriously. It's one of the commands, the ordinances that we are to keep as a church body. And so we take it seriously, and so uh, it comes with a warning. It says, Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks from the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And what we like to do here at Point Way is just close your eyes, bow your head right where you're at, and we're just going to take a few minutes just for you to talk to God and just see if there's anything that's standing in between you and him and that relationship. So just take a few moments. going to ask Bryce if he'll give thanks for the bread and the cup that we're about to receive and what it stands for. Father, we thank you for bread and this, and this juice, a reminder of your sacrifice for us, your death on the cross, your body broken for us, your blood spilled for us, that payment of sin that we, we could not pay 
you and praise you for your work on that cross, Father. Resurrection coming back again. I ask that you would bless this cup and this bread to us. Amen. Amen. Move the bottom cup, it has your bread in it, and we'll do this together. It says, from, I receive from the Lord, which I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As a reminder, there are still cups and uh, left that of those worship team. You can come up, but there's cups that are still left and. Um, those are for people that are not saved yet and are not yet with us. And so be praying this week that as God gives you those opportunities to, to share with those who do not know Jesus so that they can join us in fellowship as well.